Welcome to the CEO-led sales podcast, the podcast that empowers CEOs to regain control of their sales flow and manage their revenue into the future. I'm your host, Andrew Ford, and I'll be interviewing Andrew Phillips, the sales expert and author of the CEO-led sales book. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the CEO Led Sales Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Ford, and we have Andrew Phillips, of course, the author of the book, CEO Led Sales. And today we're gonna talk about a very interesting topic of sales coaching. So how do we work with our sales teams, or client experts as we're gonna call them in the future, uh, to get to their peak performance, and when do we do it? Uh, Which part of the process is it? We're gonna delve into all of those things and some real life examples. Uh, Something super practical today for those people who are running businesses, or working in sales today. So I think you'll get a lot of value out of it. So welcome, Andrew, first of all. G'day, Andrew, how are you today? I'm extra good, and I'm looking forward to this because I was a salesperson for many years, back in the day, and so I've got a few opinions about this to share. <laughs> but I'm more interested in your, your uh, you know, the opinions that come out of the book uh, based on the models you've created. And my first kind of question was, where does sales coaching come in in the right model? Because the right model is the basis of the book, it's the basis of the formula. And I'd like to know where that sort of fits in and you know when should we do it? Because I know a lot of people would immediately go to this as the first step to improve their business. Uh, is it the first step? Well, it's really interesting you say that. And, and I think as we, um, as we look at the right model, we talked about the fact that if you want to, in, to implement the right model from end to end, we needed or recommended that you started with the CEO sales plan. Mm-hmm. Yet we also said that well, we don't really mind if you don't want to implement the right model as an end-to-end um, implementation in your business. You may look at some portions of the right model and say, hey, I want to start there. And so the sales coaching component is spread across a number of the pieces of the right model, but it specifically lives in the team plan mm. where we talk about performance and remuneration and attributes of your client experts and your sales coaches in there. Yet, of course, in the um, when we write the CEO sales plan and the CEO looks at the sorts of clients and the types of solutions that they want to be pursuing into the future, and then the sales coach sits down with a client expert to look at the developing an attainment plan, all of the coaching that you do comes out in the performance. But I, I think it's best to have it sit in the team plan and think about coaching coming out of that uh, as, as that's where it lives, but it's implemented throughout the entire right model. Yeah, yeah. It's, just, it's almost an overlay, the coaching part. I mean, well, you know, you'd be coaching the CEO on the sales plan, I would imagine, during that during that. That's right, yes, yeah. Uh, and But specifically, we're now talking about how we coach our client experts mm. to be better. Now, you might give, uh, you might look at your organisation and you may be very comfortable to keep your, your salespeople being called salespeople, account managers, whatever, client managers, and need or see the fact that they need to have some sort of enhancement. And I'm very happy to you know, work with whatever title you like to have in within your organization to, but to create a much better outcome 
from a from a client perspective and from a salesperson's perspective. Yeah, it's interesting. It's it's. I mean, when you're saying client experts and salespeople, just the change of name does you know start the change process i think yes just like when you're doing an agile implementation yes. you know you have particular naming conventions that's particular to that style of um of running an organization so i think those things are important but of course it's you know you do things part by bit by bit um with the ceo you know with the ceo sales plan one thing that was of interest to me is you know it's always very hard to start something without a plan and you know, I'm sort of thinking of an analogy of say, let's let's say health. So you want to get healthy, and let's say your goal, your plan is to, uh, I want to run the New York Marathon in a year's time. So I need to lose some weight and get fit um, to do that process. So I need a plan, you know. And as someone who tried to run a marathon and failed dismally yeah. because I had no plan, I, I you know, I uh, I know that this is so important. And in part of that would be, you know, exercise, there'd be recovery, there'd be nutrition, there'd be expert advice. Um, but if you just ran, you would still improve, right? And and I guess this is where I'm drawing the analogy is it's always best to have a, you know, a robust CEO plan. However, if you just started with the sales team, you still get benefits. Just like if I just ran without a plan, I'd still get benefits, but you wouldn't get as many benefits for the entire organization doing that part, but it's still going to give massive um, benefit to the organization in the short term. Yeah, that is true. Um, And without a doubt, you always need a plan because you always first need to start with what problem are you trying to solve? Yeah. So in your instance around the health, the problem you are trying to solve is I want to run the the Boston Marathon. Mm. That's the problem I'm trying to solve. So if that's the problem I'm trying to solve, what are all the activities I need to do to successfully run that marathon. And that's no different in the CEO-led sales approach in that you need to understand the problem you're trying to solve. And it's okay completely just to try and solve one problem within your business, which is I'm getting feedback from my clients that my client-facing people, whether we're gonna call them client experts or we're gonna call them salespeople, my client-facing people are not having valuable conversations with my clients and my mm. clients don't understand the value that my organization can deliver to them. Mm. Right, that's the problem. You've got to try and solve that problem and a way of solving that problem is sales coaching. Yeah, yeah. And there are other parts of that problem that will be solved with other parts of the right model, but it's proper to say, right now, for me to really quickly improve the performance of my organization, I've got to improve the performance of the people who are face-to-face with my clients so therefore that's where i'm going to start yeah and it's it's and it's it's a discrete element isn't it it's it's the because it's not necessarily about the company direction and those sorts of things it's about well what what's their individual performances like yes do do they have the capabilities and are they doing the right activities i guess so it's 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 a necessary part in the step whenever you do it yes um so thinking about this you know this can apply to any organization i would imagine um, and having worked in, in this field of, you know, in IT particularly, I know that, you know, people don't always want to go through this process. <laughs> so so your, your salespeople may resist and sales managers may not want to do this. So, you know, is there value in having someone external come in? Do you think that's better or do you think it's better for, you know, people within the organization to, to fulfill this role? Well, I think, first of all, uh, in my experience, I've seen many a salesperson say, I don't have time for this. Mm. 
Mm. I don't have time for this. Just imagine any other field where the person conducting the activity within that field, whether it be a doctor or a sports person mm. or a military person or any other field, and they say, I don't have time to be trained and coached to do my job. But again, when we talk about it, it often happens in our IT industry. People, I don't have time for this. I've got to get out and meet clients. And going out and having bad behaviors and having more bad behaviors just creates worse outcomes. Yeah. So at some stage, you've got to stop that. Now, I also do believe that coaching can occur from within an organization and external to an organization. There are challenges in both models, of course. Yet, uh, my experience shows me that when coaching is conducted by an external person to the leadership structure of a, of a SARS organization, the performance enhancement is better. And it's not a mistake that the vast majority of high-performing teams, sporting, military, medical, whatever, high-performance teams are coached by a different structure than what the leadership structure is to that mm. to that group. And in fact, often the leaders in those groups are, are um, assessed at the same level and the same um, with the same competencies by the coach. So everyone is is equalized in that yeah. model. Yeah, and yeah. and that enables people because you know there's lots of evidence that shows that individuals coached perform better individually and they perform better in the team uh, as a result of that. And, you know, I, I read recently from the Coaching uh, um, Institute that 80% of people that receive coaching report that they have much greater self-confidence in their ability to do the activities they're being coached for. And then about 70% of those people demonstrate clearly an increased work performance. Wow! So it's it's phenomenal, and yeah. we just don't do enough of it in our in our. We don't do in. We sort of have today a a one week sales offsite. Yeah. Where we might all go away, we get a whole pile of stuff jammed down our throat around how good the organisation is and what we're going to do this year, and here's our targets, and we think we've done sales training. Yeah. And remember, that training is different to coaching. That's a really good distinction. It's a really, it's really yeah. different because coaching refines and develops the skills that you can then go and train on. Mm. But if you don't refine and develop your skills in the first place, you can't train. You can only have poor performance. To your analogy yeah. about running the marathon, if you don't ever train in the right manner with the right nutrition and the right intervals between heavy and light training, even though you feel you're getting fitter, you'll never be able to run the marathon because you'll somewhere you'll break down. And this is like that's, some, it's that's this, what happened. It's exactly, exactly what, happened. what it is, right? And this is in the book we talk about compromised deals. Somewhere mm. the deal will be compromised because you weren't coached, you didn't you didn't reinforce it with the training, and you've got a compromised deal because the margin's low or the SLAs you signed up to are impossible or, or some other mm. aspect. Yeah. yeah, that's really interesting. It's uh, and that's exactly what happened until I met a marathon running coach, and and he asked. He pointed out my problems and he predicted exactly what happened. I'm like, how did you know? He's like, well, this is what I do. I yeah, that's right. And yet your body fat ratio would probably drop down. Your heart, resting heart rate would drop down. You were fitter and stronger 
but you were never capable of running the marathon. No. It was had, the I wrong had, stuff. I had zero yeah. recovery built in. All yes. I did was just run and then just yeah. go to work and yeah. regular. And so and so what I, what I learned from that was many years ago um, is the value of coaching. You know, I have a coach, you know, I coach people in, in my area of expertise. And, you know, it's it's interesting. It's the people might know something. This, this, this you know, teaching versus coaching yeah. is really interesting. You might know something, but you have to practice it. And, you know, I always remember the Tiger Woods analogy of, you know, he was the best player in the world by a mile, you know, a decade ago, and he'd still go out and hit a thousand balls in the morning every day. And and I remember when he was number one and, and he completely rebuilt his swing because it was he could go to the next level. Which yes. Is, I mean, who does that? And well, that's, that's right. Yeah. And that's what the best in the world do. Every tennis player has a coach. Yes. You know, they, they even though they're the best, and, and I'm sure they're quite busy, but <laughs> between tournaments and travel and you know, sponsorships, but they, they make time for coaching. But in but in the sales environment, we don't. It's crazy. That's because right. Yeah. talking about multi-million dollar deals, win or loss, based on your performance. So if you could get an edge, you know, surely you'd take that. Well, I think that's the, the case. And, I, you know, to your analogy around coaches have the ability to break a skill down into all of its base components and practice each one of those individual skills that add up to the outcome. Mm. Those of us who have been coached in a particular activity forget about all the broken down activities that went into yeah. it. We just do the outcome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and then suddenly when our outcome isn't like it, we don't know how to go and break the skill down again to revisit where am I falling down. Coach does that. I was a scuba diving instructor, and so we would teach people to take their masks off underwater, mm. and that had seven discrete components. You had to get all seven right to have a really um, fluid mask-clearing exercise, yeah, right? Um, yet, if I went and looked at one of my students who I taught 10 years ago to dive and said, tell me the seven components of that mask-clearing, they wouldn't know that. They'd forget. They'd just get in there and do it naturally. Yeah, yeah, and if suddenly they're not doing it properly, they'll just, they need that re-coaching again. So mm. they, this is the critical component of a why coaching is different to training yeah. and why it's so critical to get a to get a skill right. And I always say, you know, perfect practice makes perfect performance. Yeah. You know, and people often say practice makes perfect. No, it's got to be perfect practice. Yeah. Makes perfect performance. Yeah, yeah, I like that. It's really interesting because I think, and this goes back to the fundamental of what that role is. And if you're a relationship sort of wing it salesperson is in, you know, I'm great at taking them out for lunch and they like me and you know, they're going to buy from me, which works once in a while, but it's not repeatable. And there's no, it's difficult to break down those elements. Whereas in the book, you talk significantly about, you know, how you set up a sale five years out. That's right. The you... credibility aspect, not the relationship aspect. Correct. Yeah. And, and you need a bit of both, of course, but, but there is, there is a definite process and there's definite behaviors you can identify, which, you know, and, and I did sales for, for many years, never, never did anyone go through it like that. Never. It was like, oh, you can sell. Yeah. Because, you know, I like you and you seem friendly. And yeah. Seem and you've made a sale in the past, so yeah. go and do that. But you actually don't understand why you made that sale. That That's the difference. That's it's right. The level of science behind it. Yeah. You go, these are the elements and we can investigate and there's ways of testing these elements. Yes. Which is in the book, you know. Um, I find them really interesting and in that I don't think many organizations really apply that. So I think that this is where the sales coaching would start to change that behavior. And if people really were open to it and adopted, then, you know, I think they'd get a good result. And do you think that this separation of, 
you know, if I'm if I'm a sales manager today and I try and do the coaching, then is there is there a propensity for those people to feel like I'm really delving into the business, I'm micromanaging them, I'm I'm telling them how to suck eggs. It's, there's there's a potential relationship fracture there, I could imagine. Well, that's yeah, that's right. It's different, right? Yeah. That's why, as I mentioned earlier on, you know, the, the, the highest performing teams have a different coaching yeah. set to the leadership set of the team. And one of those reasons is that it can feel like micromanagement when a leader or manager is performing uh, detailed, breaking down a, a behavior into 20 steps, that sort of review of an, of an, of an individual. Um, you know, it's interesting. I was reading a Harvard review recently. Uh, there was also a review um, by uh, by Gartner around how leaders need to become coaches. And there's a lot of organizations talking about, you know, the best leaders are the best coaches. And that's undoubtedly true. But it seems to be, in my experience, a real challenge getting a leader to be able to deeply coach at the same time because it, it just... The time involved and the detail involved and the trust and honesty mm. involved can be quite challenging. I'm not saying it can't be done, but I am saying it's much more effective to bring in an external coach because it's faster, they're experts at doing it, and they understand all of the structure that's involved in it. And it's very easy to learn the environmentals and and, and use your base coaching skills than knowing the environmentals to integrate depth and then having to learn coaching skills. That's, yeah. a, that's a harder way about doing it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'd, I'd imagine that, you know, some people in the sales team would resist it. Those who are, I guess, the old school, as we sort of have talked about, they're like, don't look at my patch. They're my clients. You know, I'm not going to tell you anything until the deal's at the end. Yes. You know, yes. no one interfering. Yes. Those sort of people would probably not have a high propensity towards this, but the people who we, you know, I would say we want more of, which is open, inclusive, team-oriented, yeah. Yeah. would more likely, you know, uh, welcome Certainly. Uh, assistance and, and, you know, a forensic investigation to their sales yeah. process. We talk in the book, obviously, about the attributes of a client expert mm. and the attributes you've just mentioned um, are the ones that we would want to look for. If you've got still got a sales team who are secretive, not filling in their their sales, their sales CRM and the like, that's a different problem. Mm. Uh, some of those are uncoachable. I also know from my experience that you know coaching the bottom half of a sales team delivers significant value to an organization as well, because what often happens in an organization. And I know the CEOs and sales managers listening to this podcast now are going to shake their head and go, you're right, Andrew, um, is that there becomes a, a wall, a shield goes up, and those bottom performing salespeople are scrutinized to within an inch of their life, but not coached. Yeah. And their performance actually goes backwards. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. The top better performing ones are left alone a bit more, they get a bit more freedom, and mm. off they go, and lo and behold, what happens? their performance either stays the same or improves. And so when I'm talking to my clients, I'm saying, we should concentrate on that bottom half, you know, yeah. the exact percentage, who knows, but that bottom half, because give them to me and you will see the biggest amount of improvement in that cohort of your salespeople. Yeah, I like that. And you'll see enthusiasm come back because you're investing in them and you're removing the scrutiny and you're adding coaching and enhancement mm. to them 
which is the which is the big thing. And and I've got this now broken down into a pretty robust four step process that is both cyclic and also can be you know and and then has its own cycle within that the four step process. So that's really interesting. So you know any organization you know doesn't want to interrupt a sales flow. You know we have to make money. We've got to close deals. You know can't just stop and and you know go and do a revamping process, you've got to continue to the business. So if they've already got people who are performing, you leave them perform. Yes. And then you you focus on the people who are not de- delivering value for whatever reason. And we do know that what half of people don't make their quota every year. There or thereabouts, yeah. absolutely. So, so th- there's no downside really of putting them into a coaching process because if they're unopened to it, they might leave. Well, they're not delivering anyway. Um, you know, I presume the cost is less than a salary for a year of, of, you know, per person for that sort of process. So if the and if they perform, if they if they do get into the top half, that's a massive win because then they're going to stay. They're going to, you know, they're going to improve. And they're going to start to embed this new culture into the team. I would imagine. So tell me a bit more about the... I want to get practical. In yeah, well, the, uh, yeah. so the practical aspects of this are exactly as you've outlined there. You know, we focus on the, the on the bottom the bottom segment of that of that sales cohort. Um, we look at going to, you know, a, a group of about maybe four or six of those salespeople, client experts, we'd like them to be, but they're probably still salespeople. And we would look at doing coaching to them once a week. Not a whole day, an hour here and there, yep. uh, not a, uh, not random, uh, you know, structured. So, um, and that group then will come along as a cohort. And the the thing that we look for is we do a review in the in the first stages. Review the pipeline, look at the attributes of the pipeline, understand what deals are there, do a bit of a deep dive into each of those deals, and probably kill off about fifty percent of the deals in the pipeline yeah. that are there because that's generally the most striking feature of a poor performing salesperson are deals in the pipeline that are never closing. Yeah. And we, we can pick that out, right? Oh, and we can pick we'll it out really it. quickly yeah. and go, there, 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 there. That's never going to close. Or you're going to continue to kick that can down the street for the next six months, pretending there's a deal there yeah. while you've got your resume out in the market trying to find a job. So it's really very important to set a level set review of this pipeline and of the attributes of the salesperson as balanced to the organization I'm working for. So what sort of things are you wanting to sell into the future? What sorts of behaviors do you need to see? And we measure that against those salespeople. And this is a bit of a difference to what a number of generic sales training Mm. organizations do is they set a common benchmark, which just doesn't work when yeah. you want to have it specifically targeted to the individual. Mm. And then after that process of pipeline and behaviors as targeted to the individual, to the client, um, we then look at a set of enhancement training and coaching uh, st- structured sessions to look at the weak areas and enhance them mm. and to and to obviously build up the stronger areas as well. Yeah, I like that. So there's a lot of discipline in that, which is, and it's very hard to do because killing off deals is is challenging because then you no one likes that no one likes no that one because likes then that. you know it's like well you know where's your pipeline no one wants to have an empty pipeline but the reality is they they don't have time for coaching because they're wasting time chasing deals that are never going to close that's and, right 
and and then focusing their energies on ones that might. And if they don't have any, then we go and assess, like you said, their capabilities to, to the client, to the market, get the fit right, which then might produce additional value in deals. Well, that's right. You New see, deals that they never thought of before, right? Definitely. So we look at it from a, we look at that review portion being about 20% of the entire coaching structure. So it's a small percentage. 80% of the entire coaching structure um, are the remaining activities, which are the enhanced activity where we look at the behaviors you need to improve, mm. but really then the measurement and KPI activities that mm. we we use to ensure that our people who we're coaching are reflecting on the enhanced activities and are practicing them in the field and are delivering on the results as agreed in the enhanced activities to give to give the right outcomes. And once you can get those two things going, we know what we need to improve and we're actually going and doing them on a daily basis, then you start to see a a wonderful change in the in the outcomes that that individual is able to deliver, mm. and then the last structure that we look at in our in our coaching process is let's go and do a go and do an assessed portion where we go and talk to the clients. Mm. Now I said it's cyclic, so we can do them at any one time. It's yeah, not we don't do one then the next, and we we we'll have flavors of that going um, yeah. at all times. But it's so powerful being able to, able to have a conversation with a client about how does Andrew interact with you? Wow. Are you finding that out? What does that look like? It's now, confronting. of course, there's balance. <laughs> it's confronting. There's balance there. But it's no different. And we don't do it. But it isn't no different to the rest of the coaching world. It's, this is the thing is it's, there's a lot of hard realities in this process. But if you don't face them, you can't change. Well, that's right. You know, and, and for some reason, we've gone off on this side tangent that large-scale sales, and I know, I know I talk a lot about IT because that's really a great detail I've got, uh, yet it's no different to anywhere else. No. It's no different to any other sale, mm-hmm. all the time. And we've just gone off on this tangent where we, we aren't holding people to account. We're no. not reviewing. Clients actually love it when I go and talk to a client and say, Tell me about Andrew. How's he? What's that? Oh, he's got these. Does this? Does or she does this wonderfully? And that, that, that. And or but actually, you know what? Sometimes I can't quite actually understand what they're trying to tell me. And so yeah. we can start to work that one out, and we can we can practice on that. Clients don't mind. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. There's no one wants to look bad in front of the client or, or whatever, but it's feedback. Well, you're absolutely right. And it's different too, right? Because I know as a leader in the past, I've gone and said, tell me how Andrew's going in front of you. And the client is going to say, oh, they're going really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or yeah. if they're absolutely atrocious, then then it'll be they're atrocious. Mm. Um, yet when you go in as a coach and you explain your role, yeah, my role is to help this person deliver you, client, a much boss. better yeah. outcome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm trying. That's what I'm set here to do. And that is a different result. It's a really powerful result. Yeah, it's interesting. I like it. I saw a post the other day on LinkedIn, which was about how there's a person who goes out and seeks feedback from his clients. And he's always saying, um, I know there's things we do well, but tell me the things, you know, all the things that you think that we're not doing well, because, and he seeks the negative feedback. Yes. Which is very hard to do. People don't want to hear it. And they generally, particularly if you've just delivered a successful deal or, you know, because there's always things you can improve. There's Completely. Always. And Completely. And and we don't want to hear them because we want to hear the praise. Yeah. And and but it's it's the most valuable information. Yeah. yeah. 
but as humans, we don't we don't want to go. We, there. Yeah, and it's really hard also for if you are if it's you and you're sitting in there and you're inquiring about yourself to your client, it's also hard for your client to be honest back Correct. to you, right? Yeah. It's awkwardness there. Yet as an independent coach, I am able to have the conversation with the client yeah. and with the um, and and with the the salesperson about around what's going on, and you get a much more honest and transparent and actionable um, set of data yeah. that you can then go and, and, and improve and change. We bring you closer together to the client. One hundred percent. You're getting to this level of honesty. Yes, you know? I like it. It's interesting. So, so you've you've done this, you know, through your career at various organisations, and I just wanted to sort of tap into some real examples of. People don't mention names, but or teams that you've worked in where you've coached and you've had some sort of, you know, result, um, and you know, just because there's there's going to be twists and turns on the journey of this. Some people are going to like it, some are not. Some react really well. So, can you give us a few examples of when you've been working in, you know, managing teams and, you know, you've been coaching people and, you know, to to a result. Now, sometimes I know that you know. Um, like I do remember from, if you don't mind me pulling up the backstory in Canberra, you know, you, you went to, from Melbourne to Canberra and, and the organization wasn't doing particularly well. And you, you essentially revolutionized that team. Um, and you would have used a lot of these processes. So just, just a little bit about that part of your career, I think it'd be interesting. Yeah. That's just, uh, it was from Canberra to Melbourne. So oh, Canberra it's, to Melbourne. Uh, yeah, Sorry, yeah, yeah, but that was, and I think that's the, po- the, 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 a good, a great place to start in that, it's always the assessing of the team and breaking down the behaviors into individual activities. And so we did that from a process of, of how are we going to start to run every one of our client meetings? Mm. And it became so obvious to me, we, I had been uh, in, um, in Melbourne for a very short period of time and there was a client that we had some issues with, or they had issues with us, probably more more accurately. And I was invited to come to a client meeting. And foolishly, I said yes. I got on into the cab with about four or five other people and said, so guys, where's the call plan? Oh, we haven't got a call plan. We're going to wing it down there. <laughs> they, you know? they didn't use those words. That, well, they, they, those exact words. Wow. You know? And I said, so we don't know what we're going to talk about. And five people, five people. And I became very concerned and it was my fault. I actually shouldn't have accepted the meeting. I take complete responsibility for that. So that was the start of a long and um, detailed coaching process for that team, for them to be, I have to sit down and analyze what problem are we trying to solve with this client? And what are the individual behaviors that we have to exhibit? They hadn't done that study. They didn't go and inquire with their clientists around that. So that that example of, okay, we need to go and have this meeting because we've committed to being in the meeting in 15 minutes time. Let's go and do that meeting. And then we were back into a meeting room and we went through a coaching process to understand what we should have been doing going forward. And we got that relationship back on track. And it wasn't actually anything truly to do with me, they had all the IP already. They had all the stuff they needed to actually Mm. um, use to improve the relationship, yet they hadn't gone and done the work to put it on paper so that they had a plan to follow. It's interesting. I was going to, because I was going to ask, did they have a a client plan? Um, Did they have an account plan? Did they? Well, like most account plans in today's world, 
they are three years old and they were, they were relevant at one spot, but they are more about inputs than outcomes. Mm. We, you know, you have a client yeah. plan that talks about the, what's going on in the account, what's happening in the account, mm. inputs, as opposed to this is where we want to be in yeah. three years time in this client and here are the steps. And again, this, this thing, you know, this thing I talk about strategy all the time and, and you know, it's, it's not, I think strategy is an interesting word because I just, I think it means everything to everyone, yeah. uh, every different thing to everyone. And that's why I now talk about strategy as purely a problem solving exercise. Mm. Articulate the problem, i.e. what do you want to achieve? What is the problem? That's it. And here and where are all the things that go into it, and that's what they hadn't done. Interesting. Do, do you think that comes from a mindset of, well, here's what I want to sell, rather than what does a client want to buy? Because what are their problems? That's right. Yeah, I think you're, you're absolutely right. Is that they look in their back pocket and they go, I've got these four things to sell. How will I sell them? Oh, I could discount them. I'll sell one and give another one away. What, as opposed to saying, to your point just then. My problem, my client's problem is this, 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 and this. Mm. My problem is this, 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 and this. How am I going to solve those two problems? And it may not necessarily be what you've got in your back pocket to sell today. Yeah, and this yeah. this is interesting. This is where, um, you know, because that just change in thinking is part of the coaching process yes. of the sales team. Yes. Um, but also the, the organization needs to be open to that. I mean, I have a particular example when I was working in big IT and I remember, you know, we were, these are the products you can sell. Um, and then, you know, I remember going to, I'm a bit of a problem solver just naturally. I went to the customer and, and I remember they didn't kind of need my products. They just didn't have a problem that these products, so I'm trying to create one, of course, but they, a, an opposition company came in and just wrote a brand new solution for them and sold, a, you know, something that was pressing for them. I went, wow, why can't we do that? And, yes. But we, the organization was not set up to do that, which which is interesting. So sometimes the salesperson is hampered by that, but even knowing that, and if your organization can't do that and you can't sell it, move on to another well, one. Well, this is the point. This <laughs> yeah. is the point, and we talk about this in the book, in that look at your client's strategic imperatives. Mm. Can you help them solve their strategic imperatives? Yes or no? Yeah. And you may need, just because that client's been a client of yours, and again, we talk about this in the book, and I hate to keep saying that, but um, has been a client of yours for five years, they may actually not be your client in a year's time. Yeah. But if you don't detail, plan, problem solve, you'll keep throwing yourself against the rocks of that client yeah. and go, why won't they buy anything from me? Why won't they buy any? Well, you've got nothing would. to sell them. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Hoping you're you're hoping they will. You're hoping they will. As opposed to, there is so much business out there. This is the point, right? Yeah. In, the, in an attitude of plenty, there's, a hundred times more business out there than you'll ever need. Yeah, You've got to find and align yourself to the business that is mm-hmm. going to be one that you can assist the most in. And by and we, I know we're talking about sales coaching, but I just need to put a bit of a plug in for the CEO sales plan. Because when you talk about, when you've got the CEO sales plan, the CEO is directing you to the sorts of solutions and the sorts of clients into the future that you need to, that you can be helping them solve their problems. That will then give you the guideline of where you need to go to. Yeah. And then that's what coaching helps you do. When I'm sitting down doing a detailed analysis of an individual's pipeline, we often find out they're trying to sell to the wrong people. Yeah, yeah. And, th- and that was the case in this situation. But on reflection now, if I, if I had then discovered a new client 
who really needed our products. And I went to my sales manager and said, you know, this deal's dead, but I do have this idea of going to this. You know, of course they're going to say yes. Yeah. Because all they want is the deals. That's right. right. And so, but I didn't, ha- I didn't have the knowledge at that stage to, to go through that process. And so I just fumble along, you know, and this is many years ago, but, you know, it's interesting that, you know, I would have, you know, welcomed someone to come in and assist me through the process. Because even though salespeople like to seem very confident all the time, a lot of the time you're dying. So, well, you know, they, you, you're no different to anyone else in yeah. reality. And I think that even though you you probably did have the skills to do it, you just didn't have the environment to be able to sit back and say, and, and just reflect on exactly what's going on. Mm. Um, Often you've got a sales manager breathing down your throat for your quarterly numbers or your weekly numbers. You've got those things happening around you and you don't have time to sit back, put your feet on the desk and just think Mm. and do nothing but just think about the problem Mm. that you're trying to solve. You've got to understand the problem you're going to solve and that's where I come in and I can help. I can really help that occur. Yeah, it's interesting. So look, I mean, obviously as a as a converted salesperson, <laughs> I resonate with this. Yeah. So if but if people do, you know, if they're a salesperson or if they're a sales manager or even a CEO and they, they're interested in this, you know, this concept and, and going down this this process. I know you you're quite busy, but what what's the next step? Do they get in touch? Will you happen to have a call with them? Yeah, I, I think the best thing to do is to actually just have a come and have a meeting. Let's let's have a chat. Let's look at the environment. Let's understand your problem mm. you're trying to solve. And then we can articulate that and break that down into a number of steps that are clear, uh, demonstrable. And it's very effective. You know, 86% of organizations who undertake coaching programs recoup their money in the first six months. Wow. Now, that's just, and and it it just proves that coaching is worth it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Well, that was really interesting, Andrew. I hope everyone else found it interesting. And obviously, there's more detail in the book, so you can obviously go and read about those sections if you're, you know, internationally or you're in a different place. Yeah. Um, any other last tips or advice for people out there, for you know, who are considering, you know, going on this journey? Is it a, um, you know, would you recommend hitting your sales manager overhead with with a book and <laughs> <laughs> as a way to get them to probably to not? Start? That might upset them a little bit. May not be the best for HR, but I think that. I think that you've just got to be honest. Yeah, You've got to be honest because a lot of us as leaders want to believe we are excellent coaches Yeah, and we're actually not that good Yeah, because we've got other jobs to do in a business. And I think if we're honest with our coaching ability and our constant coaching ability, we all have great coaching moments, mm. right? We all have moments where we go, oh, gee, I was brilliant. But they are they tend not to be what you do as your day job. And so just be honest with yourself and look for external coaches to help you out of some of the issues that you might have within your teams. Yeah, great, that's good advice. Andrew, always a pleasure. Thanks for, thanks for the time and have a good day. Wonderful, thank you, Andrew. Thanks for listening to the show. If you have any questions or would like to contact Andrew, please contact him on coledsales.com.au where you can also purchase a copy of his book. If you're in Australia or if you're overseas, please head to Amazon where you can buy it online. Thanks for listening.